Well, let me encourage you to uh, turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 5, the second of the two readings that Rita just read for us, page 968 in the Church Bibles. And uh, the other thing that you might find useful to do is to uh, dig out the, uh, the handout, the sermon outline, uh, so that you know where we're going uh, in the next few moments. We continue to look through the, uh, the Beatitudes and we come uh, this week to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Uh, in our society we love power, we strive for power, I might even say we crave power. Political parties want to be in power, through money, success and popularity we feel empowered. We search for power in our career and in our relationships and we love watching successful and powerful people wanting to follow a team that conquers all before them, or tracking the lives of our heroes by, by reading them in high-quality magazines like OK and Hello. And we love... And I need to point out, by the way, this is not my copy. I borrowed it from Peter Bramwell. Um, thanks, Peter, very much. Um, we, um, we, we love power. And because we so highly prize power, we encourage those closest to us to be powerful people. We raise our children to become successful and therefore powerful. Tim Keller writes these words in uh, his book, Counterfeit Gods. You'll see them on the handout. From the earliest years, an alliance of parents and schools creates a pressure cooker of competition designed to produce students who excel in everything. The family is no longer what Christopher Lash once called a haven in a heartless world, a counterbalance to the dog-eat-dog areas of life. Instead, the family has become the nursery where the craving for success is first cultivated. You see, we want our children to become powerful. And then when we see young, beautiful, self-assured people with an Oxbridge education, we tell them that the world is their oyster. We believe that all the world's pleasures and opportunity are now open to them. We love power because we think that power gives us the world. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Which reminds me of something my brother always says when he reads this verse. He says, Blessed are the meek, if that's okay with the rest of you which kind of rather sums up the conundrum of this beatitude. We, we know that the meek don't get anything in this life, yet Jesus promises them the earth. It sounds grand. problem is it doesn't seem to work. In this world, it's not the meek who succeed. In our experience, blessed are the powerful, the arrogant, for they inherit the earth. How are the meek going to inherit anything? Life simply doesn't work that way. When I worked in the newspaper industry, it was the confident, self-assured, gifted and ruthless people who sat in the boardroom. So on first reading of this beatitude, for anyone who's lived in the real world, these words of Jesus are going to leave us sceptical, perhaps tempted to think that Jesus doesn't really understand our world, to conclude that he must have lived in a totally different world. Well, don't believe it. And for sure, this is countercultural. This is so not what the world teaches, but don't for one minute think that Jesus is out of touch when he says these words. And don't conclude that his world was any different from our world. Jesus knew all about powerful people. He knew it from those who ruled this world. He lived in Roman-occupied Israel. The Romans, the Caesars, were powerful and conquered the world. The religious world of the first century Judaism, the Pharisees and the and the teachers of the law were power seekers. 
who love to control other people. Well, Jesus lived in a world very much like the world we live in today, a world where self-sufficient, self-confident aggression won the day. And be sure, Jesus' disciples would have found Jesus' words just as much at odds with the world around them as we do. For the world they lived in was a, a dark world. Well, we've seen that over these last weeks. Look again at Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, the, the verse that really controls uh, understanding the Beatitudes, the world into which the Beatitudes are written and why we need them. Chapter 4, verse 16, do you see it there? The world is a dark world with the shadow of death hanging over it. That's why we need the light of the gospel. And you remember we've said it every week, Matthew is quoting Isaiah chapter 9, where the people of Judah uh, in Isaiah's day were in fear of the mighty superpower of the day, the Assyrians coming marching over the hill, ready to destroy all before them. This world is a dark world because of powerful dictators. Whether it be the, the mighty king of Assyria of Isaiah's day, or the cruel Caesars of Jesus' day, or the wicked dic dictators of our day, uh, Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, Mugabe. Those are the people who make this world a dark world, aren't they? Well, then we don't have to go to them. Think of the power seekers we meet in work and in politics. People who walk all over others to get what they want and then get away with it. That's what makes this world such a dark world. People are not only wicked, but they get away with their wickedness and they not only get away with their wicked actions, but then they seem to prosper through their evil deeds. That's the world we live in. And it's the world that Jesus lived in as well. And so as he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, Jesus' disciples would have found these words just as much at odds with the world around them as we do today. Yet these words should have sounded very familiar to Jesus' disciples because these words appear in Psalm 37. I wonder if you noticed it when... Uh, Rita was reading it for us. Turn with me to that psalm. Psalm 37, page 564. 564 uh, in our Bibles. Psalm 37. And you'll see the words that we're looking for in verse 11. Psalm 37 and verse 11. It's on the handout if you're not quite with me. Psalm 37, verse 11, do you see it there? The meek will inherit the land. There's our phrase, the meek will inherit the land. It's the, the key phrase in this psalm, actually. You'll see it again in verse 9, second half of verse 9. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. It's the same in verse 22. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. And verse 29 the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Sorry, that's 28. 29, the righteous will inherit the land. And again, you'll see it in verse 34. The Lord will wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. You can't miss it. This psalm is all about inheriting the land, the promised land of, of milk and honey. And the psalm is very clear, verse 11, it is the meek who inherit the land. And where this psalm is so very helpful is that it is written into a world very much like our world. A world where it seems that the last people on earth to inherit the earth are the meek. Psalm 37 is written to a world where the powerful are the ones who seem to prosper. And most people don't, don't like living in a world like that. 
I'm very excited about our, our One Big Question week. I hope you are as well. This time next week at, at this service, well, not this service because we've already heard there's a six and, a, and an eight o'clock, but, you know, uh, in the evening, we'll be dealing with the question of suffering. And uh, one of the issues that came up with the question of suffering was the issue of injustice. It wasn't just that there was suffering in the world, but it wasn't sorted. That was the real problem for many people as they asked that question. Why is it that people get away with murder, sometimes quite literally? Well, that is the concern of this psalm. Look how the psalm begins back in verse 1. David, the psalmist, writes, verse 1, Do not fret because of evil men. Do not fret. Do not fret is another dominant phrase in this psalm. You'll see it comes again in verse 7, the second half of verse 7. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways. You'll see it again in verse 8. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Uh, David, the psalmist, writes do not fret at the beginning in verse 1 of this psalm because that's exactly what his readers were doing. They had sleepless nights because their world was the dark world of Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. A dark world where drag, drug, drug barons live in luxury. A dark world where the mafia control not just neighbourhoods, but huge multinational companies. A dark world where rogue traders sometimes don't get found out and then live the life of Riley. We live in a dark world where wicked people seem to get away with their evil deeds. And worse, they even seem to do very nicely. Thank you very much. We live in a dark world of injustice, and living in that world will cause us to fret. And then to question, is God really in control of his world? It becomes the one big question we want to ask. And as we believers question, we can easily find ourselves envious. You see, that again is Psalm 37 verse 1. Envious of those who do wrong because they seem to prosper. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. Let's be honest tonight. Who hasn't envied the unbeliever when you look at their lives? Whether it be the the material prosperity of huge yachts and fast sports cars and luxury mansions. Or the playboy lifestyle of wine, women and song. Or the extravagant opulence of high quality food in expensive restaurants and first class world travel. You look at the lives of those who do wrong, and it does seem to be a very attractive option sometimes to leave God aside, to live life without any of the constraints that comes from being a follower of Jesus Christ. I could try it a little bit, earn a bob or two here, fiddle your tax return, get a builder who will take cash to avoid the VAT, put some personal receipts and a few extra miles on your business account. No one's going to notice. It's tempting, isn't it, to make life a little easier for yourself? I mean, who doesn't want to live a life of ease and prosperity? We know exactly why David wrote verse 1, don't we? We know exactly why he had to write, do not fret, because we do fret when we see it happening. We know exactly why he says, don't be envious of those who do wrong, because that's exactly how we do feel at times. But how can he tell us not to fret when evil people prosper? Why don't fret? Well, because it's not as it seems. Again, verse 1, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. The autumn is the perfect time to read verse 2. 
Because those without God, those who are flourishing in this life, are like green plants in the summertime. You see, just a few months ago, my vegetable patch was flourishing. Not with the right things, but it was flourishing. And the trees all around us were green, but look at them now. The leaves are brown, dying, falling, and the vegetable patch is almost bare. And that, verse 2, is a picture of those who seem to do so very nicely without God. They have their time of flourishing, and at the time, boy, do they flourish, but it doesn't last long. Verse 2, they will soon die. And then look over to verse 7, or look down to verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil, for evil men will be cut off. There will be a day when those who appear to be so powerful and so successful will be cut off from anything good. And that day isn't far away. It won't be long, verse 10. A little while, a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they'll not be found. Yes, at the moment, they they seem to have the upper hand. As verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Or in a word, if you want it captured, what's going to happen to the wicked? Look at verse 20. In a word, the wicked will perish. That's why the psalmist says, don't fret and don't envy the wicked. Don't fret when you see evil apparently reigning in this world and and people getting away with murder, for they will perish don't envy the wicked for they will perish and because they will perish don't be tempted to become like them verse 8 again refrain from anger and turn from wrath do not fret it leads only to evil this is very important if you envy wicked people and crave what they crave When an opportunity presents itself to you, you just might become like them. Listen to uh, Tim Keller uh, in this excellent book, Counterfeit Gods. He writes this. In C.S. Lewis's children's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of the main characters is a young boy named Eustace Scrub. Eustace clearly had a lust for power, but he expressed it in the mean Petty ways that only a schoolboy could in teasing, torturing animals, tattling and ingratiating adult authorities. One night, Eustace found an enormous pile of treasure in a cave. He was elated and began to imagine the life of ease and power he would now have. When he woke, however, to his horror, he turned into a hideous dragon. Sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart, he'd become a dragon himself. Becoming a dragon was a cosmic natural consequence. Because he thought like a dragon, he had become a dragon. And then uh, Keller says this, when we set our hearts on power, we become hardened predators. We become like what we worship. So, verse 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. See the point? If you, if you start looking at other people and you, you, you wish you were like them, you might just end up like them. 
So verse 8 is a kind word from our God so that we don't become like the very people we so dislike. Don't envy them. Rather, says the psalm, have an eternal perspective. When you look at things from eternity, you do not uh, only see that the wicked will have their comeuppance, but you also see that the righteous God's people have forever. See, there's another word that's repeated in this psalm, forever. Now, we're over the page now on the handout. Look at this forever word. Verse 18, the days of the blameless are known to the Lord and their inheritance will endure forever. Verse 27, turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. Verse 28, the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. They will be protected forever. And verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Take the long view, you see. Play the long game. Invest in the future. Forever is a very long time. Forever is longer than 100 billion trillion years. And forever is what the Lord promises his people. So this psalm tells us to have an eternal perspective when we look at this dark world. It says, look at this world, and you see all these evil people, know that one day they will perish, and know that you have forever. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's the eternal promise of the new creation. Note the the subtle but but vital difference between Psalm 37, verse 11, and Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Again, I've written them on the the handout just so that we can see them there. Psalm 37, verse 11, the meek will inherit the land. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the land, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The land the psalmist talks about is the promised land. And for the Christian, the promised land is the earth. Not heaven, but the earth. There's much misunderstanding here. We sort of use heaven as shorthand. But let me say this, and I just stay with me in case you think I've gone completely potty. Christians will not spend eternity in heaven. Heaven is a place that Christians go when they die, and it's a wonderful place. It's the place where my mum and dad are now as believers who've died. They are consciously with the Lord in heaven. And it's a wonderful place because they are with the Lord. But it's not the Christian's eternal home. No, the eternal dwelling of God is with men in the new heavens and the new earth. Now turn with me now to Revelation chapter 21. Almost our last cross-reference. Revelation chapter 21, right at the back of the Bible, page 1249. So that we can see that our eternal dwelling is in the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. See how the Bible almost ends. Revelation 21 verse 1. See the language? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What a wonderful place. We thought about it last week place where there's no more crying or death or pain or mourning, none of that. 
the new heavens and the new earth. Do you see it there, verse 1? Heaven coming down to be joined to earth. And it is a new earth. There'll be continuity with this earth. It is a new earth, though, just like this earth, but with all the bad bits taken out. A new earth without the wicked power seekers who ruin this earth. Look on to Revelation 21 and verse 7. He who overcomes will, notice the word, inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. See, this is a a new earth without any sin because all sin and all wicked people will be uh, put away from it. A new earth without any sin and without any of the consequences of living in a fallen world. A new earth joined to heaven, God dwelling among us. That's our inheritance. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus promises us the world and one day we'll get it. Now, do you see how that helps you now? When you see wicked people prospering in this dark world, when you're tempted to envy them, don't. One day you'll have it all. You don't need to envy the wicked. You don't need to fret. I know that the wicked will not get away with murder when I know this stuff. And so I'll resist the temptation to turn to wicked scheming myself. And what's more, when you feel that you've been conned out of, every, of something, you don't have to retaliate because you know that justice is going to be done and, and you know you're, not going to, you, you, you're going to get everything back one day and more. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's in the long run, it's not the unbelievers who win. In the long run, it's not unbelievers who inherit the earth. It's the meek. Believer, you'll have more one day, so much more one day than they had in the whole of their lifetime. And do you see what this means for you when it comes to living your life sold out for Jesus? It means, crucially, you don't have to be a power seeker. You don't have to strive to be successful in the world's eyes. Nothing wrong with being successful, but you don't have to strive for that so that it gives you power. You really can invest in God's things. So when you're faced with a choice, uh, what to do with your gap year? Spend it serving the Lord or traveling the world? When you think, that's a tough choice, because you'll miss out on seeing the world, miss out on all the experiences that your unbelieving friends will have as they travel the world. Listen to this stuff, and you'll know you're not missing out on anything. You'll have eternity to explore the earth, much longer than a gap year. You'll inherit the earth. Isn't that brilliant? This means we can be totally sold out for Jesus in every way. One of our great temptations as Christians, and particularly living here in such an affluent part of the world, is to want to build heaven here on earth. To be chasing after and grasping for all the luxuries of this world. Or as Jesus puts it, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things. We want these things, that's why we envy the wicked. But knowing that the meek will inherit the earth, we can be free from feeling that we have to have it all now. The meek will have it all one day. Isn't that wonderful? So who are the meek? Who is it exactly who will inherit the earth? Well, turn back with me to Psalm 37, page 564. Our last visit to Psalm 37. 
which is so helpful for us to see who the meek are. Page 564 again. See, we've seen the psalmist tells us in verse 11 that the meek will inherit the land. But he also tells us in verse 9 that those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. And in verse 29, that the righteous will inherit the land. And in verse 34, that those who wait for the Lord and keep his way will inherit the land. So who is it who inherit the land? Well, look, this is not that there are lots of ways of different types of people who inherit the land, the meek being one of them. No, the meek are those who hope in the Lord in verse 9 and the righteous of verse 29 and those who wait for the Lord and keep his ways, verse 34. That is what meekness is. It is trusting, relying upon and waiting on God. Meekness is the opposite of self-sufficient, self-reliant, power-seeking people. Do you get that? You see, it is all those things. It is trusting, relying upon, and waiting on God. To be meek, then, is to look at this dark world we live in, to see wicked people apparently getting away with murder and seemingly gaining the world, and yet as we see that, saying, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm going to refrain from anger. I'm going to avoid the temptation to turn after to turn to evil behaviour. I'm going to wait on the Lord. He has made his promise. I'm trusting him. And of course, as we end, our great example of meekness is Jesus himself. Of course, he's our great example of meekness. And we see his meekness most wonderfully at the cross where he didn't retaliate, even though things did pe- lots of wicked people did things against him. Uh, just turn with me, very final reference to 1 Peter chapter 2, page 1219. To see the meekness of Jesus. Page 1219. 1 Peter chapter 2. And verse 23. 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Isn't that wonderful? So as you look at the cross, remember Jesus didn't retaliate. He knew that God was a just judge. He, he trusted his father to deal with the wicked. And as we look at Jesus, we see that meekness is not weakness Jesus wasn't weak he wasn't weak at any point he wasn't weak when he was on the cross in the garden of Gethsemane he said that he had more than 12 legions of angels at his disposal he had the might of heaven's armies at his beck and call just a click of his fingers and they'd have acted a click of his fingers and they'd have brought him down from the cross he wasn't weak he was powerful yet he did not retaliate there's strength not to fight back when you've been wronged. That's strong. The strong person who doesn't retaliate, who doesn't hurl insults back, who doesn't use his power for his own gain and comfort. That's what it is to be meek. All this stuff coming against you, all the world can throw at you, and you say, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to live the way he wants me to live. 
That's meekness. And that strength, and that strength comes from believing that it is blessed to be meek because the meek will inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Our Father, this world is dark. And it's dark because wicked people seem to get away with murder. Because evil dictators seem to rule and seem to gain the world. And so we thank you for this word today that um, helps us to see it as it really is. Not as it appears. Help us to believe, as the psalm has told us, that when we have the long-term view, the wicked will perish. The meek will inherit the earth. We pray as we believe this, it will change, transform the way that we live, knowing that we don't have to be those who fight back, knowing that we don't have to strive for power. We pray, Heavenly Father, please, that we would be just like the Lord Jesus, meek, strength under control, trusting you to bring about justice one day and one day gloriously to give us everything, even though we don't deserve anything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.